Hello everyone and thank you so much for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs about films. We are diving back to the TV world for this episode because I've said before, probably numerous times on the pod, that The X-Files is always my go-to when anyone says, oh, what's your favourite TV show, this and that, what, what, what's, your, what's the best that's, that's there? I always go to The X-Files, purely to say from nostalgia, from me growing up, it is the series that warped and morphed me into the person that I am today and particularly with my tastes and such and granted the series dips a bit or a lot past season seven however the early run was truly truly tremendous and like I said shaped who I am today really like I've already revisited the X-Files you know the feature length from 1999 on the pods which is uh, again if you listen to that thank you so much but again i do love that that film adaptation or the, like i said the, the scope of the story for that film in comparison to the 2008 release i think they did i want to believe we'll definitely revisit the second film as well at some point but i want to do more with this show and to be honest i'm surprised that i haven't already now with that comes what is going to be the first of my X-Files Collection, which is essentially going to be a series of episodes where I'm going to revisit and discuss some of my all-time favourite episodes and stories in a nice and hopefully neat package. So if you're a fan of the X-Files, I really hope you enjoy. And of course, please send me across any episode choices that you wish to hear on the pod. And if you haven't seen any of the show, all the episodes I want to talk about, make sure you do go and check out the show. Um, And if you haven't at all, like I said, hopefully you checking this out might make you want to check the episode out in question that i'm talking about who knows i don't know but if you've seen it obviously great stick around for the journey for the rides um and if you haven't last last point would be yes there's gonna be spoilers um so there we go anyway so in this revisit slash discussion slash review i'm gonna be talking about one of the first monsters to really give me the creeps and fear and one that to this day I truly believe is the scariest monster for for many reasons that we'll probably go over and discuss that, you know, the show has presented because there's been a ton. There have been a ton, would you believe, over what, 11 seasons and two films? It's quite scary monsters in there. And we're going to be talking about Eugene Victor Toombs, who is a genetic mutant serial killer with the ability to squeeze into extremely narrow places and spaces in order to claim his victims. Toombs is a truly frightening figure for for a number of reasons, like the concept alone is haunting and one that kept me on the edge for like a number of years growing up. However, the performance from Doug Hutchison is what truly elevates this character and the terror surrounding him. This episode also contains the very famous shot of Mulder and Scully in the credits that we would see just throughout the years. You know, we can see them entering Toombs's lair which again iconic imagery it's a wonderful sequence as well when they do get to the lair this and that but that too is one that X-Files fans will be very very familiar with the episode also is particularly the second part of the episode Toombs it includes the first appearance of Walter Skinner who again would become quite a important figure for the characters Mulder and Scully and for the X-Files moving forward in addition to that too it also had the first episode in which the cigarette smoking man has any on-screen lines again another very important figure moving forward now i am really looking forward to talking about this episode going over tomb squeeze whichever uh, just all of which all of that and hopefully you guys will enjoy the listen and before we do proceed deeper into this particular x-file the pod is of course available on apple spotify google podcasts 
rss.com, all that jazz, you know, give us a like and a follow. That would be awesome. Do hit us up on Facebook and Instagram by searching Joe Blogs About Films. That too would be great if you can give us a like and a follow on there. But yeah, just keep up to date with everything with the socials, the podcast, hit notification on Apple, wherever it is that you're listening through from Spotify, wherever, to be notified when new episodes are uploaded. So here we go. X-Files, Tombs, Eugene, Victor, Tombs. It, it would be easy in a way to discuss and look at like the wider mythology and you know the syndicate and all that jazz surrounding you know extraterrestrial life that we know and love about the X-Files about the show but the beauty of the X-Files is that they have like the monster of the week episodes and this is pretty much why the show worked so well this in fact Tombs and Squeeze or Squeeze in particular was the first monster of the week that aired for the X-Files and has been said that it was the episode that really sold the idea of the X-Files to the masses. And I can definitely see why people would be hooked following viewing this episode. You know, being able to branch off into other paranormal subjects just opens up the world of possibilities and ideas that the writers and creators could explore. You could have your UFOs and all that storyline of Mulder's pursuit of the truth and, you know, what happened to his sister, but you also get these standalone episodes where the show could really flex and explore many genres from straight-up horror to being very psychological, but also have some fun as well. And there are some great comedic episodes in the show's run, and don't you worry, we will cover plenty of those in the future. But this again brings me nicely to the first choice for an X-Files revisit, because we're heading back to the 90s, in particular 24th of September 1993, where the show's third episode aired on Fox titled Squeeze, which due to huge fan and critic praise, as I've already stated, would gain a second part a little later in the first series in episode 21, which was titled Tombs, both of which excellent episodes and worth watching as a feature length if you haven't already. I do love both of these episodes. In fact, I have the VHS copy of these episodes that belong to my old man, nicely stored away and always for like a good nostalgia hit. I'll just go and look at his collection and pick out all these ones. I don't know if um, I don't know if it was the same in the in the states or wherever, but in the UK in particular, they had like file one, file two, file three. They kind of branched out, like put together like some of the best and favorite X File episodes into like VHS tapes. So like the ones that were two parters or three parters, you know, they put them all on like one VHS as like one long film. And there were many, many nights, many evenings, or whenever I'd go to my dad's at the weekends, that me and my sister in particular we would spend just watching some of our favorite X Files episodes. It was absolutely glorious. And again, as I say that nostalgia hit i'm so thankful that i still have the x-file tapes that that, that that did belong originally to my old man now this episode finds our leads follow a series of murders in which the victims have been found to have their livers extracted and presumably eaten by what Mulder believes is to be a genetic mutant who has been killing in sprees for 90 years or so now the title squeeze is in reference to the mutant's ability to essentially squeeze into very tight and pretty much impossible gaps something that i found terrifying as a child but that's the beauty of the character he is terrifying and so this concept works so well now co-creators you know glenn morgan and james wong alongside chris carter were inspired to write the episode when they looked at a ventilation shaft outside of their office and thought about whether someone could crawl inside it like we all have those kind of moments it's like the similar things that you see in films when you're growing up that kind of have that that impact on you like i remember watching signs when the aliens get through the attic door and forever thinking christ i don't want anything to come through my attic or like in saw you know when zep gets the little girl he's hiding in like the wardrobe stuff like that that really do stick with you and i just really 
really liked this concept of having someone that could squeeze through those narrow gaps. It just makes things feel so unsafe, like the safest of places to feel so, so unsafe. Now, the episode, of course, stars Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny, who on the back of the first two episodes prior to Squeeze coming out, they were already creating a fresh and beautiful relationship with one another for the small screen. You know, one that had that kind of tension between the two, whether that be sexual tension or otherwise, but mainly the tension was down to their beliefs and views on specific cases, something that would continue to grow to be one of the show's huge successes until unfortunately they do get together like much further down the line, which kind of took the sting out of it a little bit. You know, there was always that kind of will they, won't they aspect of it, but I really liked the platonic side of their relationship. You know, on one side, you have Mulder chasing the stars, and on the other, you have Scully with a medical background who continuously brings Mulder back down to earth. Now, within two episodes both of which exploring the mythology and conspiracy behind extraterrestrial life and you know people conspiring to keep this a secret, there's already something there that drew audiences to these characters and what kind of cases would unfold each week. Like We had that from the get-go, from episodes one and two of season one. We, we grasped that and they, they really fed that to the audience perfectly. Now, one of the things that I really like about season one is that Mulder and Scully are still figuring each other out. You know, They're at the beginning of their journey and, and as I've mentioned... There's a lot of tension between the two of them, especially due to the circumstances of the two of them coming together, that being that Scully has been assigned to debunk Mulder's work on the X-Files. You know, she is a strong person and has a science mind, able to bring reality into some of the outlandish theories that Mulder has. But in this episode, she's put through the ringer in terms of who she wants to be and what kind of career she wants to have. And Gillian Anson really, really presents that dilemma in not wanting to get bogged down with the crazies and actually have a brilliant career within the FBI. But the people surrounding her on the other side aren't really great people. They laugh and snigger at what Mulder does with the X-Files seeing him as someone who is forever chasing UFOs, etc. And though he is ultimately right about this case with Tombs, it's nice to see Scully go from believing the killer, you know, being tombs, just someone acting on maybe obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, by removing people's liver as a way of cleansing themselves, when in fact he does just need the liver as a source of food to help his overall hibernation process. As much as Mulder may have his flaws, obviously, and, the con and that consistent pursuit of the truth, he is a good guy. Now, Scully is kind of torn between her personal career and also the thoughts of others, as I've just been stating there, and where she should be by now in her career, or rather, where her career could go, should she ultimately decide to stay with Mulder working on the X-Files. Now, the main person that's kind of planting that seed in this episode is the character Tom Colton, played by the great Donald Logue. Colton is everything that Mulder isn't, which isn't a bad thing, but there's the arrogance there as well that makes him one of those villains that you love to hate, so to speak. He's not a villain villain, he's just an arse. <laughs> but like, yeah, he's got this cocky attitude and arrogance. Like he loves he loves all the way through putting blocks in the way. Like he sees this as his case, whereas obviously the X-File goes way back before even Colton picked up the case. But he's constantly just putting Mulder down, constantly in the way, but at the same time, kind of trying to take Scully under his wing. You know, as I've stated there, he is really, he's on the case already. He is really driving for a conviction, any conviction, as is the rest of the FBI. Whereas Mulder, yes, does want to catch the right person, but also wants to prove that this X-File has an explanation and also prove that he is right, that this is in fact a mutant that is doing the killings. Demonstrating and highlighting that political aspect as well for law enforcement, going back to obviously the conviction side of it, which always runs throughout 
this episode, but also a common theme that the show works around in its entire run. That quest for the truth is one thing, but ticking boxes is another, and a lot of the problems and setbacks that Mull and Scully run into within the show is down to that, you know? They're just constantly getting covered up or people just rather you know put someone that's not put the wrong person behind the bars just because they've got someone then they've got a face to the crimes you know that's something that is that does happen that that again without getting too political about it all in terms of the wider scope and real life and what we see in the news this day and age and stuff that that does happen you know i'm not saying that mutants are running about but i'm just saying that people do get convicted for things they didn't actually do because the police are just like yep that'll do but i think there's a charm that instantly wears off from Mulder onto Scully, and again in a very platonic way. This kind of allows Scully just to ease off and become more open-minded. And this episode squeezes a number of moments that highlight this, whether it's just like a friendly chit-chat in the car while whilst Mulder's scouting near Toombs' location. Again, some really lovely moments here. Or, or even a better example is when Scully declines Tom Colton's offer to work with them on the case, not only signifying the growth of the two leads and their relationship, but also allows Mulder to trust Scully more. They're showing the compatibility with one another, and when they are together, they are such a force to be reckoned with. Now, as I have previously mentioned, Doug Hutchison is brilliant in this role. Doug Hutchison, you may be familiar as well with a with a small role that he has in the Green Mile. Really, really awful character in that as well. But Toombs is a very quiet character and almost comes across as shy and timid, which works really well to sell it to the FBI or whoever that this guy couldn't possibly be the killer that everyone's looking for. Hutchison said that his portrayal of Toombs was inspired by the stillness of Anthony Hopkins' acting in The Silence of the Lambs, and there are a lot of scenes in these episodes, in particular Squeeze, where you really see that. Perfect example is that lie detector test sequence, you know. He's very calm as the camera focuses on his face as he says back his answers. There's a certain level of calculation on his side as well because he's wanting to pass and give off the complete innocent vibe that this does eventually lead him to be dropped as an initial suspect. What's great about his performance in these two episodes is really the ability to just flip from the steady, calm character to being overly violent and erratic. It's actually terrifying seeing his face change into that of like an animal, pretty much, all through his own expressions with the added effect of the yellowy contact lenses that he has for those killer moments. The best example of this is probably when he goes to attack Scully because he's, you know, he is inevitably intervened by Mulder and stopped. They work together to stop him. He's distracted by Mulder, but Scully is the one that kind of, well, Scully is the one that stops him by, you know, chaining him up to the, uh, to the bathtub. Like, seeing him snarl and almost bark like a dog before he accepts that he's caught and defeated shows the range that Hutchinson has to just turn on his monster. But then in contrast, seeing all that energy seep out of him as he deflates back to that previous calm face is also just some terrific acting, like really, really top-notch stuff. Now, the makers of the show included the story by the retired cop as well, of his feeling when he entered Toombs' apartment and, and a detail to Toombs taking a trophy from his victims as like a way of making Toombs seem more evil, like uh, essentially a serial killer, as they were, they, were, they were concerned apparently that some viewers may have otherwise felt sympathy, or some sympathy anyways, for Toombs in the fact that he otherwise is only killing to ensure his own survival. But it's not just that, is it? As I say, he's genuinely like, yes it is, but at the same time, he is a killer, as I say. It's something that he he has to do 
to continue to live. But again, there's there's extra motive there because he enjoys it. You know, it's just just part of his geneticist. And it was a great addition to cast. You know, to have it was a great addition to the cast to have the character Frank Briggs played by Henry Beckman. You know, it's really showed how long Tombs had been around for, being that he was killed in 1963 due to that life cycle and hibernation for 30 years that Toombs has. You know, Batman really has this sense of vulnerability in his character of Briggs and frailty there as well due to never being able to crack the case or at least pinpoint the murders on Toombs um, because the case and details were so ridiculous, you know, like... Like even to comprehend, like you see that moment when you know the agents are talking to Frank Briggs and he hands him a picture of Tombs from 1963, I think it is when he was obviously working, just doing his just his day to day job working with animals and such. Obviously, no age has passed whatsoever. You can see on Mulder's face, he's like, "Yep, this is what this is proving my point even more so." But there's also that kind of like disbelief as well from Scully. Now there is a very strong moment as well at the end of Squeeze because once Tombs is sent to the psychiatric ward. We get to see Briggs's character have this moment of relief as he closes his teary eyes, just thinking that the case is done. There's relief there, as I say, that he's glad that it seems for now anyways that this monster has been put behind a form of bars, that is. But we know that wasn't, you know, wasn't to be the case ultimately, because Toombs is free again to go about his business within like I don't know how many months he or how many how long he actually is, you know, in the psychiatry ward. But bottom line is he does get out. Now, I've just spoke about, obviously, Toombs' occupation and such. Like He's like a dog catcher, works with animals and such as well. Um, that, too, gives off the sense that he's just a kind person and that there's an innocence there that all he wants to do is his job. But this also allows him to stalk his victims and use his work as an alibi should he have to be, you know, climbing through vents, etc., you know, just as he is caught by Scully in this episode. As stated earlier, he's very calculated and manages to wiggle his way out of problems. Figure of speech. But, you know, the fact that Mulder thinks he's been alive since the 30s in itself is a crazy and baffling notion and one that Toombs uses to his advantage. Even when the question is put to him on the lie detector test and he shows that he is lying when he says no, the FBI don't believe the lie detector as, as it was, in their eyes, a ridiculous question. Very tactical with his explanation behind his attack on Scully as well by saying that it was uh, frustration directed at the wrong person following the arrest. I believe that comes out in the like court hearing where they decide whether or not that he should in fact be released. Now, there's, he's always a few steps ahead of his tombs, which ultimately does lead him to be released and thus allowing the horror to continue. Now, one thing that I really liked that they did with tombs was the effects that they used with making his eyes turn, as I stated earlier, like mustardy yellow whenever he was turning into that mutant mode. It's extremely effective as they don't need him to morph into a strange monster or creature. The simple effect of the eyes changing and the stillness of his character just makes him so uneasy. Add to the fact that most of the times we see those yellow eyes, Toombs is stood in darkness. There's heavy emphasis on Toombs' eyes in these episodes, really, whether that's without the mutant eyes, just like I said, there's always lighting up the eyes himself, whether he's just looking out and peering through windows or whatever it is, the eyes has always heavy focus on that. Now, it does stand out, obviously, when he is stood in the darkness. That really brings out the colour and, again, just amplifies the intensity and horror. And I, in particular, love the opening where it's almost like 
homage to Stephen King's It, you know, as the camera cuts from a gentleman walking to work, walking to his office, to across the road as the traffic is flowing, the camera pans closer to a sewage drain to reveal these two glowing eyes, much like Pennywise in the book and films. Extremely haunting, extremely haunting. These moments were also made even more tense with having this like slow-mo effect, whilst the colour is drained from the picture and the frame of the person that Tombs is eyeing up, that it's purely black and white. I think the only colour that you see is the person in question. So straight away, making it clear to the audience who it is that Tombs is after. Very, very good. Um, Furthermore, the opening, as does the entire episode, really homes in on that terror of safe space. I I briefly touched on this earlier by by saying about how they make the safest of spaces feel so unsafe. You know, with Tombs having the ability of squeezing here and there, he can access pretty much anything anywhere that he wants. We see him attacking an office space, uh, as well as people's homes on a couple of occasions, which just elevates that fear and horror as to what Tombs can do and where he can pop up next. I love that the episode just keeps ticking along without unveiling fully what Tombs looks like until he is first caught, obviously, by Scully. Now we get pieces of information of people being murdered where their homes are locked from the inside, or high security is in place. And again, it's just dripping, just dripping that fear and uncertainty of what tombs can do. I really love the music as well in the opening sequence where we do track across the building following the victim. All the while, you know, we see glimpses of tombs heading in for the attack. They kind of like really slow it down, almost like a, it's like time standing still almost. Like it really does have that, that horror feel, this constant dinging almost of this like a chime. As you can see, very good at describing music, but basically it's very, very effective. We get so many excellent shots as well of objects moving. Like for example, like we get the elevator, like the wires that are shaking, implying someone's climbing. But then also following that, we see these screws on a very tight and small vent begin to unscrew before fingers peel under before we cut away to the victim walking back to his office just before he's caught he's very well crafted and placed really and again something that the episode does as a whole is that less is more approach which is super super great now we don't see many if any of the kills we just we don't see any really we, we know it's happening we can hear the noises and the commotion this and that we don't see any of the grisly details of the liver being eaten or anything we just hear the commotion you know may at times see tombs's twisted and horrifying face but that's about it and it works so well you know hearing the struggle hearing the groans hearing the grunts whatever the roars or whatever it is that tombs is making you know really really kind of just plays those tricks on your mind and you fill in the blanks you know that he's taking someone's liver out or whatever and and buggering off you don't need to see it you know with the victims especially like the first one for example we just sit we start off like the 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 guy's gone to get his coffee comes back into his office next you know the door slams shut there's commotion there's grunts this and that and the others you know the curtains are flying the, the blinds i should say are flickering the door obviously breaks obviously from him being forced into the door and then it cuts into the room and all we see is a, a you know a stain of blood on the floor and his coffee mug is dripping obviously coffee into it and then the camera you know tracks across we see in the reflection the dead body on the floor before the vent closes and the intro starts really really great now as much as also it's a horrifying sequence and one that has cemented itself as a brilliant moment in x-files history you know it's when i would say it's when tombs attacks the second victim that we see in this episode by him squeezing down the chimney of their home. The whole sequence of this is absolutely marvellous, you know, from the build-up of Tombs climbing up to the chimney and then the shot from inside of the chimney 
as his hand begins to elongate down before again cutting back to the outside of the chimney and on the roof seeing his body just contort and begin sliding down it slowly. Added to the fact as well that, you know, in that moment, the victim in the house is trying to light his fire, but it's not he's not being able to due to the blockage preventing, you know, the air to come in, which ultimately that's tombs coming for a coming for a bite. Now Again, really, really great. And the same applies with that sequence. We don't see the kill. We just see, obviously, that Toombs gets hold of him. And then we cut back to the fireplace as the fire starts to flicker and does try to catch. You know, it's, again, really, really good. Now, the only form of, like, a mutant state that we have Toombs in, you know, is once he starts that hibernation. Now, that itself is grim as, like, Whilst he's in the psychiatric ward, he starts to make his own, you know, make a new cocoon, we should say, with basically it's ripped newspaper articles that he licks, throws into a corner, making kind of like a paper mache cocoon. Now, Scully and Mulder do stumble upon, uh, do stumble upon his apartment, as I've said, there into his lair as well, within that secret bunk bunker of sorts, which contains the trophies from the victims over the years, much like as I say, as killers do, and notice that slimy texture of what is compared to smelling like bile. Um, I really love that moment as well when Mulder's like, is there any way that I can get this off my fingers without like ruining my cool exterior, whatever he says? Like, it really, really is. Uh, again, these back and forth between Mulder and Scully is what drives this, the, well, the, the whole series, but what makes these episodes so much more entertaining, you know, and instantly, you know, we'll make this monster, this tombs, this mutant or whatever, it's making the audience uneasy as to what kind of monster he actually is. You know, the this yellowy bile texture is what, you know, covers the cocoon, where Mulder finds him under the escalator of the newly built shopping complex, you know, which which was formerly Tombs' home. And like this sequence is like all of it, like to, to the end of it, obviously, after he's, you know, made that last kill, he just needs, I think, is it three livers or whatever it is before he has to go back into hibernation? There's so much that, you know, he, proving people wrong essentially by Tombs, you know, the the guy that gets him out, the, the solicitor, whoever it is that gets him out of the psychiatric ward, turns out to, you know, end up being his final victim. And then that's it. It's like it's like Briggs says earlier in the episode. It's like if you don't catch him, you're going to be my age by the time it comes round and he's back out again. And what are you going to be able to do then? It's just going to be continued and continued and continued. Now, I, I really like that he ultimately does meet his demise this episode. I mean, it maybe would have been cool to 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 not you know kill him off and maybe look down the long run and bring him back again. But I, I don't really like I said. I don't. I, I like that these episodes are just two. And I, and again, it's one of those where you're like, that's why he's such an iconic figure, such an iconic character. Now, obviously, when we do find him at the end, he is in this cocoon state. And now Doug Hutchinson performed fully nude for these sequences because I believe in the script, Toombs was supposed to emerge wearing his animal control uniform. That's the job role, animal control. There you go. But Hutchinson thought that made no sense for like a mutant or whoever that was hibernating or going to be hibernating for 30 years. Why would he have his clothes on? And it is a really cool way for Toombs to meet his demise, you know, by Mulder at the last minute, having been grabbed and, you know, being chased down the elevator shaft, chasing the elevator vent, I should say, escalator vent, sorry. And I also think it's cool as well because obviously Toombs in the episode tries to frame Mulder because, like, Mulder's a dog with a bone in this one. As The amount of times that he sounds outlandish or he sounds absolutely ridiculous, whether that's in the court or whoever's not going to listen to him, he just kind of keeps tabs on Toombs at all costs when Toombs is freed and, and allowed to go off to do his own thing and such he's just like I say on him 24-7 constantly keeping checks on him jumping in to save you know other victims or potential victims I should say just so that Toombs can't make that last kill uh, but what Toombs does is to kind of try and get Mulder off his case or you know at least something away from him 
he frames him by make, by breaking into Mulder's apartment. Who again, you could think that he could just kill him. Uh, well, again, he's calculated so he wouldn't kill Mulder because then that could essentially prove that Mulder was right all along and then it would be a crusade to find him. So what he does is he essentially beats himself up. I mean, he's able to dislocate whatever this and that, squeeze or contort, whatever. So he like makes out like he's been badly beaten up and says that Mulder did it by and also putting a, a shoe, uh, getting one of Mulder's trainers and you know imprinting a shoe print on his face like he'd been kicked in the face and having a broken jaw. Now, the irony I loved about it is that towards the end of the episode, obviously, as, as Toombs is chasing him, just before Mulder does push that button on the escalator, which does kill Toombs in the end, Mulder does, in fact, give him a good swift kick to the face. And it's like, there you go. You, you faked one earlier. Now you're getting one for real, mate. You know, I just really like that touch. But once Mulder, as I say, hits that button, that leads Toombs to being pulled and essentially squished to death. And again, excellent close-up uh, shot of the escalator, you know, with the stairs going up as the blood begins to trickle out. Turns out that is too small of a place or a gap for Tombs to get out of. It is a very, very good set of episodes, Tombs and Squeeze. Squeeze and Tombs, I should say. Really one I can see why it is a massive X-Files favourite. And as a kid, these couple of episodes scarred but fascinated me. Like, I can still to this day remember the still image on the back of the VHS of Mulder being grabbed by Tombs from the nest in the, you know, in the mall under the escalator stairs, and like the terrifying artwork as well for this episode. But it was one that like I would never watch until I, I reached a certain age. Just again from like snippets of what I had seen, there was the curiosity there about it that made me want to watch it. But I was always a bit like, ah, oh, Dan, he's too scary, this and that. But now, like now, I am able to enjoy without the nightmares it is one of my favorite x-files cases and one that like i am always always recommending people to check out if they have never seen the show before there's a number of episodes like that which probably will end up being part of this x-files collection that i'm looking forward to going over and revisiting this and that and giving you my thoughts on them and such and and just you know discussing analyzing whatever you want to say but like tombs is always the one that i go for people to be like right if you've never seen it before you want to kind of get a feel of what the episode is like and it especially like the back and forth between Mulder or whatever, Mulder and Scully, whatever. Start with Squeeze, follow by Tombs, and then just go from there. They're great, great one-off episodes, or two-off whatever episodes or whatever. Just great story, basically. Great scripts. And uh, yeah, I absolutely loved re-watching these again. And also, to making notes on the episodes. Because, um, yeah, absolute fan favourites, personal favourites of mine. But yeah, really, really great stuff. And I really hope you enjoyed me just revisiting and rambling, gushing, whatever you want to say about Tombs or the X-Files itself, because I bloody love this show. Really, really love this show. And I've been really digging just kind of picking out the odd episodes or picking out my favourites and just re-watching them, revisiting them. So expect more X-Files on the podcast. I mean, I can give these episodes out of 10. I'll give them a 9, I think. But all in all, I said the story itself, I think is solid. Really, really great. And like, um, yeah, it just kind of takes you back to those, like I said, the, the nostalgia hit or like just... They still work to this day. I'm not saying it all. It's not like a nostalgia thing where I'm like, oh, I only like it because it's nostalgia. They're very good horror stories or very good monster stories, and something that the, the X, one of the better or best X Files episodes that are out there. But as I say, there's a ton of different genres to dive into with the X Files. So if you want any particular, if you want to hear any particular, in particular, if you want to hear a particular episode or revisit or whatever. Do let me know. I'd love to know what your favourite X-Files episodes are. What If you do dig Squeeze and Tombs, if they're one of your favourites as well, get in touch, let me know. But as always, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. I'll be back again with more revisits, more reviews, whatever it is. It'll be uploaded, this and that. But just as always, thank you so much for your support. Cheers for listening. Until the next episode, take care.